Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. This WBEZ podcast is supported by Ravinia, with over 100 concerts under the stars this summer, including Daryl Hall and Elvis Costello, Nora Jones with special guest Mavis Staples, the Beach Boys with special guest John Stamos, Shaggy and TLC, Jason Isbell and the 400 Unit, the Chicago Symphony Orchestra, and more. Their 30-acre park is nestled in a gently wooded area. Bring your own picnic or eat at one of the park restaurants. Tickets available now only at ravinia.org. This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. As you've been hearing here on WBEZ, Mayor Lori Lightfoot says Chicago is ready to fully reopen next Friday with the rest of Illinois. This would make Chicago the largest U.S. city to fully reopen by June 11th. Plus, Governor J.B. Pritzker signed a law allowing bars to give out a free drink to people with proof of vaccination and even teased a possible vaccine lottery in the state as another incentive. Joining us now to discuss these stories and more is infectious disease specialist Dr. Mia Teramina from the DuPage Medical Group. Hi, Dr. Teramina. Welcome back. Hi, thanks. Dr. Teramina, next Friday, that is going to get here very fast. So how are we actually doing? What is the latest as far as COVID-19 metrics? And we're doing well, both in Illinois and Chicago and nationwide. We're seeing these numbers drop to numbers that we haven't seen in over a year, which is just, you know, the light at the end of the tunnel is getting brighter and brighter and brighter with each passing week. And we still need to keep this drive going. This isn't a a free pass for everyone to just sort of relax and say, okay, it's all over. COVID is still here. We're still having patients hospitalized. We're still having patients pass away from COVID. But to see national numbers at, you know, less than 20,000 cases and to see, you know, local numbers in the hundreds and, and even dozens of cases in some bigger areas that we're seeing many, many more cases Uh, during peaks and surges of this, a rolling positivity rate hovering 2% or lower pretty much statewide is just, you know, really the point that we needed to get to in order to be at that phase five idea. And, And I'm in agreement that we're there. So you mentioned that we are seeing people hospitalized still uh, from COVID, but those numbers are falling as well, too, correct? They are. And, you know, the, the folks that are being hospitalized, uh, the majority are, are individuals who are not vaccinated. Uh, the few that are hospitalized that have been vaccinated generally have some significant health issues. And thankfully for their uh, positive vaccine status, uh, their hospital stays are, are rather brief. They're getting uh, well and turning around quickly and, and being able to get home and rejoin their families and not having some of those more severe courses. But uh, our COVID wings and a lot of the hospitals are shutting down to the point where we don't need to have a complete isolation wing because we may only have a few patients with COVID even requiring hospitalization at any given time. Vaccination rates, they've been on the decline is what we've been reporting here on Reset. Do you have an idea of, of the latest numbers for the city and the state? So city and state, you know, about half of all uh, eligible adults and uh, folks over over the age of 12 are fully vaccinated at this point, with um, around two-thirds having at least one dose. And those percentages um, nationwide, statewide, they go up in folks over the age of 40. So we really want to continue to uh, emphasize that even though you're younger, healthier, and are unlikely to have a severe COVID course, your vaccine is important too because it decreases the circulating virus, it decreases 
opportunities for mutations. And you don't want to be sidelined by this stuff. There are so many young folks that think that they get through the virus just fine, but find that they are having some of the more protracted symptoms lasting uh, a bit longer. But uh, by far, we are we are edging up closer and closer to getting to that 70% with at least one vaccine uh, by that July 4th date set by um, the administration. We have 12 states that are already there. It would be great if Illinois can join the ranks of those states and, and really keep this push moving forward. Doctor, i got to talk to you about the vaccination incentives that I mentioned earlier. They're getting pushed out all across the state. We've seen free Six Flags tickets, free airline tickets, free drinks. Uh, this week, our governor even hinted at a vaccine lottery here in Illinois. So do you personally think that these kinds of incentives will work? You know, we have examples of where they have worked. I mean, we can look at Ohio where vaccination rates went up at least briefly, uh, 50% week over week when they offered the million-dollar lotteries and opportunities for college scholarships for uh, younger folks. So I, I think that there is some merit to this. It, it feels, you know, there's a, that little bit of a feeling where it feels like, ah, oh, should we be incentivizing something that's just on the right side of science? But at the end of the day, it's such an important public health step that, um, you know, a, a simple treat or reward, I, uh, like a free drink, I'm all for it. <laughs> all right, let's jump to the phones now, doctor. We've got Shelly on the line in Westmont. Hi, Shelly. What's your question for the doctor? Hi, good morning. I'm wondering, I have a brand new grandson in Seattle. He is seventh month, seven months old, I'm sorry, nine months old this coming Monday. And we are wondering if my daughter and I fly out to see him do we have to quarantine when we get there? We are both fully vaccinated. Or if they get on a plane with the baby and come here, how do we keep the baby safe on the plane? Thank you, Shelley. Good questions. Yeah, you know, we can't really mask, uh, you know, little children under the age of two. Fortunately, they're uh, in the group that's least likely to um, get exposed, get infected. Uh, they do absolutely get infected. I would say the safe event is probably with vaccinated adults that are otherwise healthy and well traveling to the baby. So the baby is uh, minimizing risk of exposure by planes and airports and everything else. And fully vaccinated adults traveling uh, when they get on that receiving end, I don't see any need for quarantining. Um, if if there's any chance that folks are feeling unwell, um, then uh, masks and distancing could be implemented. But otherwise, if you're feeling well, fully vaccinated, traveling as safely as possible, wearing a mask in the airport and on the airplane, you should be able to go and visit your grandchild without a problem. A reminder, you can join Shelly and give us a call if you've got questions about anything from masks to vaccines. Call us at 866-915-WBEZ. Again, our phone number is 866 866- 915-WBEZ. Let's hear now from Anne in Aurora. Hi, Anne. Welcome to Reset. I have two questions. Okay. The first one is, um, Dr. Termina, do you have any more updated idea of when the Pfizer and Moderna will become FDA approved and no longer considered experimental? So the first answer, Anne, to that question is both Pfizer and Moderna meet full criteria for FDA approval. We just have to go through the process of of getting through those meetings and those uh, basically approval steps. So they currently meet uh, all the requirements needed for a full FDA approval, and I would regard them as being as close to FDA approved as possible. I anticipate the timeline is going to be more on the order of weeks to months. Hopefully by the end of the summer, early fall, if not sooner, we should have full FDA approval for both. Let's jump now to Linda. 
Hi, Linda. Linda's calling from Westchester. What's your question today? Hi. I have a friend who um, had COVID and has since fully recovered and um, believes that um, having had COVID, it is just as effective um, against getting COVID again as the vaccine. What would your response be to that um, person that believes that having recovered from COVID is just as effective as having had the vaccine? So, Linda, that's a great question, and it's important that we circle back to this concept because it is one that we hear quite frequently. When you have COVID and you develop antibodies generally around day 10 or 11 of your COVID illness, you're actually developing some antibodies to the nucleocapsid, the actual viral structure, and some to the spike protein, but not nearly to the level that we can achieve when we are vaccinated. When you're vaccinated, getting that high, high level of M-spike proteins is likely going to be what gives us more neutralizing antibody over time and helps protect us against more of the variants. So we know that the first 90 days after an infection with COVID, your antibodies are, are generally very high and should be protective. What we don't know is how protective they are beyond 90 days. We know that vaccine-generated antibodies are protective at least six months, hopefully longer. So that's why the standard of care at this point is everyone should be fully vaccinated, even if they've already recovered from COVID, in the effort to have antibodies lasting longer and antibodies that are more neutralizing and able to fight off any re-exposures better than native immunity. Doctor, we're talking so much about this full reopening in Chicago and Illinois coming up next Friday. Let's be clear on what this all means. Um, you know, so what does it mean for businesses like restaurants, for instance, as far as capacity limits, uh, large gatherings and, and masks? So that's where the, the big sticker comes in is full reopening uh, coming next Friday does not mean mask mandates are completely done away with. There's still going to be individual entities that uh, very much require masking. There's going to be certain um, facilities that will uh, recommend masking really strongly, especially if you haven't been vaccinated. But capacity limits at gyms and theaters and um, restaurants, they're, they're all going to be lifted. So we won't have to have these uh, limited entries or uh, folks that have had to register and reserve time slots to go to places in order to space out uh, going to a restaurant or going to a gym or signing up for a class. Uh, all of that should be, you know, slowly going away. And in some cases seem like it goes away essentially overnight uh, after the 11th of June. So pretty exciting stuff. But, you know, as a reminder, we're still going to not want to gather in large, large crowds, and we're still going to want to have that mask with us, even if we're fully vaccinated. You know, if there is a situation where, for example, I was at Six Flags Great America this past weekend, masking is still required, and it's still required when you're waiting in line, and social distancing really can't be maintained, and that's important. Did you see people wearing masks when you were at Six Flags? Mask wearing was very, very uh, noticeable at Six Flags. And, okay. and this past weekend, there was um, sort of a, a change in no longer uh, having significant um, reservation requirements. So the capacity was uh, quite quite big. There was a, a decent-sized crowd, but almost everyone was respecting the mask wearing recommendations from Six Flags. Wrigley Field is also going to be at full capacity next Friday when the Cardinals come to town for a three-game series that stadium holds around 42,000 seats, Doctor. Do you think we're ready for a large event like that? 
So that's, these are tough questions, and I think that when you are outdoors, you are going to be much less likely to have any meaningful exposure to, you know, contagious virus, even if the person around you uh, is is highly infectious because of the constant breeze and the disbursement of, of, you know, air around us. That being said, crowding and things like uh, gathering together on concourses and where there's less laminar flow of air could be more of a concern. Now, thinking of 42,000 people in one space becomes a challenging thing to think about when we've just gone through this year and a half of really staying socially distanced from folks. But we are also seeing a circulating positivity rate that is so low right now. Mm-hmm. In reality, the chances of someone you know, having symptoms is you know, approaching that one to two in a hundred where it was much, much higher months ago and not at all recommended. So going to an event like a full capacity baseball game is certainly not without risk, but it is much, much less of a risk now than it ever has been. And we are getting to the point where we're going to be able to start doing some of these things. Let's hear now from a caller. Sharon's on the line in Highland Park. Hi, Sharon. So um, I have uh, kids younger than 12 who can't be vaccinated. So I'm still nervous about um, speaking out in public. A friend of mine told me that she knew someone who passed on the COVID vaccine to his kids, even though he was vaccinated. Is that really something that can happen? So he passed on the COVID virus to his child, even though he was vaccinated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, all of these things are, are theoretically possible, which is why we have to be very mindful. Once you are fully vaccinated, it's very unlikely that you're going to be infected. If you are infected, it's very unlikely that you're going to be significantly contagious, especially if you only have mild symptoms. That being said, when you talk about being indoors and in close proximity to family members and people that you are having intimate close contact with, that's where you're going to be much more likely to spread virus. So certainly if if I, as a fully vaccinated individual, tested positive and was shedding some virus, if I was walking through a grocery store and didn't know that I was shedding virus, I'm likely not shedding enough virus to meaningfully create a significant outbreak concern in that sort of environment. But snuggling up with my unvaccinated seven-year-old on the couch, the proximity there, you know, there is going to be a much greater chance that I unfortunately could infect someone like my daughter. So that's why we, you know, again, I, I still emphasize that we need to have that that layer of being mindful about what we're doing, who we're interacting with, and when it's appropriate to still have that mask on. Thank you, Sharon. Let's hear now from Arlene in Glenview. Hi, Arlene. What's your question for the doctor? I do have a question that came in earlier this week by email from Charlotte. Uh, her husband has a rare blood cancer and an autoimmune disease. Now, his oncologist confirmed through labs recently that his vaccination, uh, his COVID vaccination, did not produce the antibodies to protect him from COVID. And the doctor told him that he should behave as if everyone he meets has COVID. So what Charlotte's asking is, what about me? By default, do I need to follow the same protocol even though I'm healthy and fully vaccinated? What do you say? 
So again, this this gives another example where Charlotte, as a fully vaccinated, hopefully healthy individual, would still have to be mindful about large crowds, gatherings, places where social distancing can't be maintained. Even though it's unlikely she'll become infected, there is a possibility that she still could, and she could carry some virus, and the most vulnerable are going to be unvaccinated individuals, which effectively includes her spouse because he hasn't been able to generate those neutralizing antibodies. We are currently working on using things like monoclonal antibody therapies and a compassionate use capacity for folks that are immunocompromised and who don't develop neutralizing antibodies as a way to protect them and try and give them antibody boosts especially uh, if they're going to be, you know, more exposed or if we have any mini surges of this virus moving forward. So that data and science is continuing to evolve to protect our most vulnerable folks that are not able to develop antibodies. How long are these vaccines expected to protect us, doctor? Do you, th- do you think that we'll fully vaccinated people will need a, a booster shot sometime in the future? This is, yeah, it's the, the million dollar The million dollar question. Yes. I know, I know. I think that we're going to need boosters. I don't know how many, and I don't know how often, and I don't know if it's going to be everybody all the time. I I think that everybody, even healthy folks that have been fully vaccinated, will likely at the very least require a booster shot in all probability around a year after completing their full vaccine series. Whether that's a brand new shot, whether it's a shot from a different manufacturer than your first series, whether it's you know, uh, something that only covers variants, I don't know. We're, we're kind of working right now through mixing and matching different vaccine products to see if we can sort of no. get our immune system to boost antibodies uh, in, in a more profound way by introducing different types of vaccines over time. So the mixing and matching is, is normal. I, I did hear this from some family in Canada that they were trying to see about mixing, you know, you've, if you've got a first dose, a lot of folks there have AstraZeneca as their first dose. And so they were mixing mm-hmm. and having a second dose of maybe Pfizer or, or Johnson and, or Moderna, rather. And I thought that that was strange at first. So to hear you say this, that's interesting. The studies are ongoing. Uh, to be clear, if you've had a single dose of any vaccine, whether it's approved in the U.S. or not, you should complete your vaccine series with what you started with. That is the current guidance. So even if you've received AstraZeneca in another country and come to the U.S., you should make every effort to complete that AstraZeneca series before either getting a second dose with another product or repeating that series altogether. But all of that we are looking into. We may very well find that mixing and matching is not only appropriate, it may even be more beneficial, but we're not there yet with formal recommendation. Let's hear now from Lulu in Beverly. Hi, Lulu. What's your question? I would like to know if, uh, you know, I, I had, uh, let's say I had vaccine, uh, uh, COVID, and um, now I would like to get vaccinated. Uh, I was told that I'm supposed to wait 90 days, uh, but what are the repercussions? What are the, uh, how dangerous is it, or what could happen if I get vaccinated before that? Thanks, Lulu. Yeah, Lulu, you can get vaccinated at any point after recovering from COVID up to 90 days after recovery. So you don't have to get vaccinated, uh, you know, until around that 90-day period, knowing that the antibodies you have are likely very protective in this whole three-month period of recovery time. That being said, 
some folks, not everybody, uh, who gets vaccinated sooner after their acute infection may have some more noticeable side effects to the vaccine, but nothing dangerous. And there's nothing, uh, you shouldn't be uh, denied vaccine if you've recently recovered from COVID either. So I have no issues whatsoever with someone who has been uh, recently recovered from COVID, feeling well, having no symptoms, going ahead and getting vaccinated when they're able to do so. They don't have to wait 90 days. Maya in South Shore. Hi, Maya. Hi, thanks for being here, doctor. Um, So then this whole Facebook conversation about going to see Chaka Khan, I think in Millennium Park, and I'm thinking about the concerts. I've been vaccinated. um, And with the whole thing with the African-American culture about the myths about being vaccinated, and so many people are kind of on the fence about it. I'm nervous about going down to a concert where I know people are going to be packed and it's going to be hardly any social distancing from what I can think of. And I want to know, you know, definitely I should wear my mask. I'm thinking I should in 90 or 80 degree weather. And is is it possible to still inhale contagions from COVID if somebody is out there that doesn't know that they have it and is not wearing a mask with so many people close together. Yeah, so, you know, these large crowds that involve folks that are unvaccinated, the more unvaccinated people you have in a close proximity space, the higher chance that we're going to have instances of several people or maybe even a small cluster of individuals then going on to test positive. This virus and these variants do, they're very contagious and they have the ability to infect folks. Again, yes, even outdoors, but certainly everybody who is unvaccinated who is going to even an outdoor event this year that involves uh, no ability to socially distance should absolutely be masked. For folks that are fully vaccinated, again, once that crowding element comes into play, even outdoors, masking would be encouraged. I completely understand how it's not very comfortable to uh, be in 90 degree weather wearing a mask. I get that. So I would look for the ability to take mask breaks, to kind of step away from a crowd if you're able to do so. Uh, Focus on the group that you're going to a concert or event with and and make sure the adults that you are traveling with in your little pod are all fully vaccinated and taking all the steps necessary to be as safe as possible. Anne-Marie in Humboldt Park. Hi, Anne-Marie. What's your question for Dr. Termina? Hi. Yes, I was wondering if there's an update about vaccines for children under 12, whether um, there's a timeline of when those might be available and what that might look like. That seems to be the question on everyone's minds, Dr. Believe me, I can't wait. We'll be first in line. Um, <laughs> we're looking at September, October. So there should be, you know, the, the preliminary data all looks great. But the point of being able to apply for emergency use authorization is likely going to be September, October with, you know, widespread distribution and access to this vaccine uh, probably into those fall months. So I would love to be able to have all these kids under 12 be fully vaccinated before the end of the year. Um, sometimes we get a little bit of um, uh, under uh, under-promising and overproducing, So I can only hope that maybe that timeline will be moved up a little bit too. Uh, but I have not heard anything more than anyone else has heard at this, at this point. Let's hear now from Kristen in Albany Park. Hi, Kristen. What's your question? Hi. I'm wondering, as a new mom who's fully vaccinated if, and I'm breastfeeding, if my baby is receiving any protection from my breast milk? Good question. 
That's a great question. It does depend a little bit on when the timing of your vaccine was. Um, our vaccine was given close to the time of delivery. Uh, we know those antibodies are passing through poor blood, and uh, we are absolutely able to detect antibodies in um, breast milk, and we're able to check babies, and babies are positive for antibodies as well. We don't know how long or how strong those antibodies are, uh, but at least there is some element of protection there. So I uh, definitely encourage. We're still working out as we wait for official data on um, pregnant and lactating persons and their ability to get antibodies to safety and efficacy of vaccines, et cetera, as to what the ideal timeline of giving COVID vaccines during a pregnancy will be moving forward. Hey, doctor, what's the latest on variants of concern? So there's a bunch of them, and we keep hearing more and more about these hybrid variants that are combinations of two other variants that we've seen sort of, um, you know, intermixing. These viruses are intermixing and kind of making um, super variants for uh, all intents and purposes. At this moment, we are still looking at a very, very good efficacy rate of all of our available vaccines against these variants. So uh, a common question I sometimes get is with these variants being more circulating in the community, should I, quote unquote, just wait to get the new vaccine? Well, first of all, we don't have a new vaccine yet. We have the vaccines we have available. And second of all, the vaccines to uh, protect against the variants likely will be boosters versus a primary series of vaccinations. So everyone is still encouraged to get the available vaccines right now, which again are giving some significant uh, help against and protection against these circulating variants, even the hybrid variants, because again, they look quite like some of the singular variants and the vaccines are working well to recognize them. We also got two questions from uh, Jan who emailed us. Her first question, I believe you've already responded to in, in, in large part. It's, it's just sort of the safety of you know being out in, in large crowds. But I, I want to highlight her second question. It's about breakthrough infections. What are they and, and how prevalent are they? They're extremely rare. And, and the challenging part is, is we, you know, everyone seems to have a story of I know so-and-so. They got their vaccine and they still got infected. And, and we do hear those stories. But by far and away, they are actually very, very few and far between. Most people who um, find out that they're infected are very minimally symptomatic or essentially asymptomatic. And it's usually in the context of maybe a family member, potentially someone under 12 who's not vaccinated, testing positive. And then maybe the parents in the household are fully vaccinated, but their work or other places may require them to get a test because they're unvaccinated child is positive, and we're finding that both the parents are positive, too. We don't know how contagious they are. They're not necessarily thought to be very, very contagious, or especially if they don't have symptoms. But each of these is regarded, in theory, as a breakthrough infection. What is very rare, it does still happen, but is very rare, is an infection to the point of requiring hospitalization and or leading to death. Um, And that's the most important part. No vaccine is 100%. The goal of these vaccines is to prevent these severe hospitalizations and death. And boy, oh boy, would it be really encouraging to know that if you're fully vaccinated and get exposed, the chances of a very severe course and of these long-haul COVID symptoms that can last weeks to months after your acute infection might be decreased to a couple days of a low-grade fever and a mild cough, and and you're ready to get back to work. Mm -hmm. And that's what I hope we can get towards. Let's hear now from Katie in Evanston. Hi, Katie. Welcome to Reset. I was just curious um, if, 
we do get the boosters, and I did hear the previous conversation about not knowing frequency and all that, but is it expected, like, each booster we get, we would have similar side effects, similar to the first doses of the vaccine? That's a great question, Katie. We would wait for, you know, certainly the information regarding um, boosters and uh, required emergency use authorization criteria for these boosters. But the nature of these vaccines and the way messenger RNA vaccines work and the way viral vector vaccines work, sore arms, a mild uh, fever, headaches, things like that that are very, very common are going to be common across the board with a number of vaccines. So I would expect the side effects to be very similar. Over now to Rochelle in West Ridge. Hi, Rochelle. Hi, uh, thank you. You've said that um, people who've recovered from COVID should get vaccinated. Uh, I have some family members who did recover from COVID, and they're claiming that they can wait a while because they're probably uh, resist, you know, have high levels of antibodies. So I'm, I wonder if it, you would advise for them to try to get an antibody test to see what their levels are as a way of incentivizing them to get the test sooner rather than later. I mean, seen sooner rather than later. Understood, understood. And that's a common question we get as well. So the antibody tests that are generally commercially available are simply going to be like a thumbs-up, thumbs-down result. There are titers and actual levels that can be um, uh, uh, done on some labs, but again, most of the time it's going to be Yep, you have antibodies, or nope, you no longer have antibodies. And we know that some folks, uh, they can still have those antibodies detected 8, 10 months after their infection. But beyond 90 days, we don't know if those antibodies are still protective or as protective as they were during the acute recovery phase in those first 90 days. So I would be concerned that somebody who is more than 90 days recovered from coronavirus who asks their physician to check antibodies may have a false sense of reassurance if their antibodies are still detectable because we don't know how reliable and how protective they are. Certainly an argument can be made that something is better than nothing, of course, but again, the recommendation would be still to go ahead and get vaccinated. And we are still, again, trying to find out at what level these titers need to drop, and that's generally more on the research side of laboratories, in order to determine when we're going to have to revaccinate or boost individuals. Let's hear from one more caller. Dr. Anthony is calling from Gary. Hi, Anthony. What's your question for Dr. Teravina? Yeah, hi. Uh, with the positive, you mentioned the positivity rates are coming down, and with the increased ability to get out and the corresponding concern about getting out, I was wondering what the pre-COVID rates of infection or positivity, if you will, are or were pre-COVID. Like, in other words, how close are we getting to where your chances of being around a sick person at a stadium is similar to what it was pre-COVID? Yeah, I mean, we're, we're really close to that, and that's exactly why we are moving sort of to phase five here, because we have other viruses, we have other contagions around, and we know how well masks and social distancing worked because we had virtually no flu season this year. But once we put people all together, and even when we get into the fall and start putting people indoors because it gets cooler outside and in close proximity, we are going to see clusters of cases no different than we would see people contracting influenza from one another and contracting other respiratory viruses from one another. But we are very, very close to the randomness of getting exposed to anything being in close proximity to individuals. The difference here is COVID is something that 
in some patients is presenting more severely than a typical mild respiratory virus. Hence, the all of the things that we had to do in order to flatten the curve over a year ago in order to try and decrease these hospitalizations. Treatment is better. Hospitalizations are down. And we are getting to that, that sort of pre-COVID feel that there's a chance of getting exposed to something any day, anywhere. Um, but it doesn't necessarily need, mean that we need to have the severe mitigation strategies in place anymore. Just about 10 seconds here, Doctor. You'll be off next week, so you won't be able to be on the show when we have our city and state move into this full reopening. Just a final thought then that folks should keep in mind as they're out and about. My final thought is have the mask with you. So even though you're moving out and about and really enjoying a beautiful uh, weekend ahead and a weekend next weekend, have the mask available, put it on when you're in crowds, and uh, enjoy. Hold on to that mask for dear life. That is Dr. Mia Teramina, infectious disease specialist from the DuPage Medical Group. Thank you, Dr. Teramina. Thank you. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.